as Kirsten was saying, there are baptisms. What are you guys doing at 1 o'clock? Are you, you better not just do that to appease me. You better actually show up. All right. So over here, uh, we have directions on the, just grab directions. And if for some reason, you know, you can't afford to like bring a meat or cheese to go along with everything, come anyway. We got you covered. You'll be okay. Uh, so if your last name is, I got, I wrote it down because last service I totally messed this up. As A through L, you're bringing meat because we're doing this whole nacho kind of thing. Again, ten terrible jokes with that. But anyway, so there's a, so this whole nacho thing. So if you're A to L, you're bringing a meat to go on top of some sort. Let me tell you how much I love you, okay? I went to El Toro and bought two pounds of carne asada yesterday. It's like, everybody here knows what El Toro is. They're like, sweet. You didn't even get shot. It's amazing. So, no, no, I go there all the time. I, I love El Toro. Anyway. Uh, oh boy, that's another thing we got to cut out of the video, huh? Paul, here's the funny. So Paul comes to me and he's all, "Whatever you're gonna say, just say it up front. Then introduce yourself and do the message. That way, I can cut out any stupid thing that you say, so, so I can have either service to do the video." And I go, "All right, whatever." Anyway, so A through L, bringing meat. Uh, uh, M through R, you're bringing cheese and salsa. Cheese and salsa. Now, you don't just bring like a block of cheese. Because that's not going to work. Thump. Yeah, really? You want that on your nachos? Bam. It doesn't work. So if, if you didn't have like nacho cheese and you brought a thing of cheese, just grate it before you bring it. Or bring a grater with you and do it there. I mean, it'll get you some muscles. You know, if you start to sweat halfway through, we'll, we'll sub some money in. You'll be okay. But all right. And if you are S through Z, you're bringing beans and salsa and elements covering all the rest. Uh, we, we bought or picked up soda and Gatorade and all that kind of stuff. So there's drinks and all that kind of stuff. And, and again, the, the rule, don't feed my dog. I don't know if you're like, oh, look, this would be funny beans. Because <laughs> she will eat them. And then I will know. <laughs> all night long. Not happy. So uh, you should all just come to baptisms. It's a great big party. It's a whole lot of fun. If you want to hop in the pool, you can hop in the pool and swim. It'll be great. Uh, so uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. Welcome, Paul. <laughs> Sounds like a comedy show. Hello, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> you, honestly, you guys are the one service that heckles the most. I don't mind so much because that just leaves you in here longer. So it's your own don't fault as long as you want to be here. <laughs> so welcome to Elm. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, plus, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Uh, in that, on the side, you'll click on live. And then by GPS, it'll bring us up in the smartphone. And you will get sermon notes and verses and all the stuff that go along with the message this morning. So why don't you stand up and you're reading God's word. We'll get started. This is Genesis 51, verses 15 to 17. It says, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would understand what you are calling us to. And that we would trust you for all that you have given us and we would live lives that in turn honor you and that a harvest of righteousness would come because of that. Amen. Have a seat. 
This is Genesis week 62. Uh, we are building to the very epic conclusion in July. We'll get there. Uh, uh, essentially, Genesis, as well as the rest of the scripture, it's a story of God. But in the middle of it right now, it's focusing on this guy. His name is Joseph. Joseph is a snot-nosed, privileged, better-than-you, dad's favorite kid. His brothers don't like him. They get tired of his tattling, and so they sell him into slavery like you do when apparently you're angry at your brother. When I was growing up, my brother and I, we would fight a lot. He is two years older and, you know, 30, 40 pounds on me, a lot bigger guy. I am usually the snot-nosed brat in the middle of it, and as we fight, I mean, I can't win, and so one time, you may have experienced this with one of your siblings, I reach down and I pick up a rock. You've been there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe on the back side of it, I don't know. But I pick up this rock, and my brother, instead of tackling me and beating me up, starts to run. And I don't know, you know, Joe Namath or something, I'm like, boom, and it is like, he's got to be a mile down the street. Felt that way because I was a little kid, right? Like a mile, and it's like, he starts, I flip serious. Boom, he starts bleeding. He said he runs home, tells, which is the worst, he tells my mom. And seriously, I, I have never felt so bad when you make your brother bleed that bad. To this day, I still think of that moment, and I still feel just awful. And what happens actually today in the story is you see Joseph's brothers have been thinking about what they've done to him, and they're actually getting to that point where they're feeling this bad about what they've done to him so many years before. So here's the deal. Uh, Joseph gets sold into slavery. Uh, he is unjustly accused of rape while he is a slave. He spends years in jail. Eventually, through God's twisting of fate, Joseph ends up being the second most powerful man in Egypt because he helps Pharaoh out. And in the midst of all of that, his life now finally starts to get better because he went from slave to jail to now being the second most powerful man in the world. But he still has this entire section of his life that is unresolved, and that is his family. And so to get this, what you have to do is think to maybe some relationships in your life. Maybe some things that have been broken. Maybe you were close in some places and now you no longer are. And there's pain because of something that's happened as a break in the relationship. Whether it's something you've done or something they've done. And when you even try to talk about it, maybe it still just gets a little bit worse. Nothing gets any better. Because what happens is sin in a relationship causes many problems. And this is now God coming in starting to resolve a lot of those issues. So this week and next week and the week after, they all go together. That's not my pitch to get you to come back, but you know, whatever. Uh, and so it starts to build. And at the end of today, I mean, I don't have a nice little bow like I normally do at the end. It just kind of stops here and then we'll move on to next week and the week after that. So if it's not like, oh, the ending was so great, give me some grace. You'll be okay. In three weeks, you'll get it all together and, and you'll be fine. Open your Bibles, Genesis 42. That's where we're at. Uh, Joseph is now, uh, hasn't spoken to his brothers for over 20 years at this point. And the scope of this is it takes a worldwide tragedy to get this family back together again. And so we've been looking at Joseph in Egypt. Chapter 42 starts back off with the family, where they're at, what have they been doing. So Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, and that's the father of all the kids, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And in the, in the English text, you kind of miss all the nuances of this. It's really funny. The, it intones that the brothers are sitting around. You hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. You hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. And his dad walks in. Well, why don't you do something? It's funny. There's, 
And he said to them, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. Don't need to make a committee. Don't need to get a consensus. There's grain over there. Just get up your butt and go and get it. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother. That's the brother from the same mother. Not meaning for that to rhyme, but it did, whatever. With his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the other brothers who came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And what you see is a sad thing is that the same thing Jacob has been doing his entire life, he is still now doing. He's playing favorites with his kids. Jacob doesn't send his youngest son, one of his favorites, one from the wife that he loved, Rachel, along with all, all the other brothers. And it tells you because he feared that harm might happen to him. Seems like he doesn't care about the other boys at all. Egypt, well, they could die. Hmm, Benjamin, why don't you stay at home? We'll send the rest of your brothers. It seems like Jacob thinks all the rest of his kids are disposable. Verse 6, now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Quick Genesis quiz, what is one of the reasons they, they sold Joseph into slavery? His dream that said they're all going to come and bow down before him. So they sell him into slavery. Well, that'll take care of it. He went into jail. And 20 plus years later, what happens? They bow down before him. Moral of the story, God's going to get you. That's how it works. Take time, but it'll still happen because God said it's going to happen. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. It's like, I had a good thing going. You knuckleheads show up. This is terrible. Where do you come from, he said. They said from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Because you can change a lot from 17 to 37 years old. Plus, he probably looks like an Egyptian. He's probably got makeup on, probably in full Egyptian garb. When I was 17 years old, I had a mullet and pegged pants. I wish I looked better in spandex, but I look like a scarecrow in tennis shoes. Just did, I weighed 120 pounds soaking wet when I graduated from high school. I've changed a little bit. A little bit. Okay. I also get hurt easier now, too. It's terrible. But it's easy to see why they didn't recognize him. Plus, they also thought he was dead. Verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. The nakedness of the land is the idea of where they are vulnerable to them. And so what Joseph starts to do is he tests them. He starts to mess with them. Because, honestly, no matter how godly you are, if you spent 13 years in jail because of your crazy brothers, you're going to mess with them, too, right? Yes, so that, that's what he starts to do. And the point really is that if there's someone who has done evil to you, someone who has sinned against you, before you let them into your life, you have to make sure they've actually changed before you begin to trust them again. And we've talked about this many times throughout Genesis, that there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one person, just you. You can say, I love you, let all the animosity towards somebody go that you hold in your heart. Reconciliation means that it takes two people, and you guys can start to become close again, work through many of those issues. Like a wife gets smacked around by her husband. He says, oh, I'm sorry. You know, It's not like you just have instant trust right there. Forgiveness can take place where you let the anger go, but reconciliation takes time and probably some anger management classes. And what Joseph does is over the next few chapters, is he will set up scenarios to make sure that he can trust his brothers again. This is almost what the next few chapters are all about, how Joseph runs them through this gamut to figure out, can I trust these guys again? Verse 10, they said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. And Joseph and you all know that's a lie, right? Okay. Verse 12, he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And you might be thinking, this has got to be far-fetched, right? You know, ten guys does not an army make. 
right? But, the, but Canaan, on that border, that was the most open border Egypt had. So they were really worried about it. It's like, you know, for us, we like Canada. That's probably our most open border that we have. They want to steal our cable TV and our mooses. Don't, don't let them in. Or, you know, the other border, it's like, you're here to steal our jobs. You know, he's trying to throw something at him. Verse 13, and they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. They're like, no, we're not illegals. We're not trying to come over the border from Canada. We're just looking for the Taco Bell because we're hungry. I'm making that connect, okay? I'm trying, okay? And the young, uh, and behold, the youngest is this day with our father. And this is probably where Joseph is trying to get to because, you know, he and his brother are from this one mom. They hated him because Joseph's dad, you know, loved him more than all the other brothers. Well, what did they do to his younger brother? If they got rid of him and sold him into slavery, is his younger brother even still alive? And here they start to acknowledge it. I don't know if Joseph believes it. And they say, and one is no more. That would be Joseph. Verse 14. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother Bring your brother while you, that's plural, all the rest of you, remain confined. You know what confined translates as? Jail, prison. Nice. That your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. He throws them into jail. How sweet is that? It'd be cool to have your own prison, right? Instant vengeance. Somebody does something, you know, sign me up on your spam email list. Jail. Just right then. I gotta call you and you got a country music ringtone on your cell phone and I gotta listen to it. Prison! Prison. Your name happens to be Justin Bieber? You just go to jail. That's how it works. You cut me off, you flip me off in traffic, you're going to jail. You sing in a boy band, don't pass go. Just show up at the prison, cause that, that's where you're going. No lawyers, no countersuit, just going to my jail. Now how long does he do this to him? Three days, like, oh, boo-hoo. Three days. He was in jail for years under false charges. Verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. I believe in your God, too. I want to follow him like you guys should. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. What they're starting to do is confess their sin. They're looking at what they've done. Now it's coming back upon them. They are reaping what they have actually sown. You see, their conscience begin to reassert itself. Now, this is not karma. If you are a Christian, you've got to get that idea just out of your head. Christianity has nothing to do with karma whatsoever. Karma is the concept that there are deeds that you have done. You've got to work off in order to attain an enlightened state. You do this over multiple lifetimes. Karma refers to the debt of one's bad actions that must be atoned for by your better good actions. As a Christian, who atones for all of your bad actions? Jesus. That's it. You cannot work them off no matter how hard you try. We surrender to Jesus. We trust him for forgiveness. We live a life of grace and hope and truth and humbleness because we have been forgiven. As Christians, though, what we hold to is something called sowing and reaping. That is not karma. James 3.18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. That's a good harvest. That is sowing and reaping. Galatians 6.7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Sowing and reaping. Paul says throughout your life, there will be a correlation to what you sow and what you reap. This is cause and effect. You are always sowing something. 
no matter what we do, either you're sowing from what's called the sinful nature and you're just sowing destruction all over your life or you're sowing from the spirit, which is God's spirit, and you reap, reap a whole bunch of good stuff on the back side of that. You and I have a choice in our lives what kind of seed we're going to scatter in our lives. And Paul says, don't, don't be deceived. You sow, you reap. That's just how it works. You sow sin all of your life. It's going to come back in destruction and death upon you. Put your hand in God's bucket and you reap life, and spiritually speaking, and sometimes in quality. And all this works. But what people do today is we run to a place of deception where we start to think that if I sow sin and rebellion, well, it's really not going to matter that much. This is because if you live in sin, you don't immediately see the consequences come back upon you. It's like a seed. It takes some time for the harvest. If you go down to McDonald's and you eat Big Macs for every meal, every single day, it may take a couple months, but you will reap the harvest, okay? You, you, will, you might even just collapse and die, too, but, you know, it's, you will reap the harvest. I mean, you, you could go out and you could have sex with a prostitute, and you wouldn't see the effects of that for maybe months or years later, and one day you wake up and go, oh, my goodness, what happened? You know, it's, you're reaping what you've sown. Some people sin and they think God doesn't care. It's not a big deal because it doesn't matter because, oh, the harvest hasn't come. Deception is this idea that we are convinced that the wrong thing is actually the right thing because we don't see the harvest coming yet. Paul says this is deception in our minds. It's like, well, how do I get hooked on drugs? Well, you know, start a little bit and a little bit more, and all of a sudden it's every day of my life. And how do I hooked on drugs? It started in one spot. Well, how do I end up alone? Well, maybe you talk about yourself all the time and think that you're so wonderful and you think everybody else is stupid and only your opinion matters. And I wonder why you're alone. So we're like, well, how did my girlfriend get pregnant? I wonder. <laughs> Literally, you sowed some seed. And that's how it works. How'd you get, how'd I get into debt? I'm buying stuff. You know, how's that work? The whole time you're sowing seeds thinking nothing is going to happen and people are always shocked when it comes back and they realize the harvest is coming back. Here's, if you're a single guy and you want to get married someday, but you spend all of your time looking at pornography, there's going to be a harvest. It will affect your life and your wife and your kids. If you are married and you think that nagging on your spouse and complaining to them or about them to other people, and you think it's going to make you have a better marriage, you are deceived. Bitterness leads to death. It never leads to love. If you are a parent and you're raising a child and you never discipline that child, you think, I'll be their buddy, it'll all work out. No, you will see the backside of it, that it doesn't all work out. We must be a people who sow from God's bucket. And so we sow forgiveness and not bitterness. We sow grace and not grudges. Even as Christians, we do this. We always want to see like the harvest the exact same day. It's like, oh, I read my Bible. Oh, it didn't work. No, I prayed. It didn't work. I obeyed God. It didn't work. It's not that it's not working. It's that you're not seeing the harvest just yet. It takes time. Some people say, I read my Bible every day for a week and nothing changed. Well, I think things actually are beginning to change. Well, I prayed twice and God didn't do anything. Well, you know, it's, it's like this. In my backyard, if you come to the baptisms today, you'll see all these holes where my dog has decided for some reason she's a billy goat and she decided to eat the grass. I have no idea why. Uh, sometimes maybe it's a gopher and she's trying to go get the gopher. But what I did a week and a half ago, because I'm so nice for you so you don't like trip and break your ankle, is I filled it with dirt and I, and I got some seeds, some grass seed, and I, and I put it on top of that and I'm watering it. And if you look real closely, you may see a couple little sprouts in it. But it's not full grown, but eventually it will grow enough and my lawn will look like a whole lawn unless she starts to billy goat again. Now, if I, if I just threw it down like that and I went, <gasps> where's the grass? This is defective. I take it back to Home Depot and go, I put it on the grass and I have no lawn. What, what, what's happening? You know, they would look at me like I was stupid, right? Because it takes some time for the harvest to come. And that is true in our lives. It takes some time for the harvest to come back around. Joseph's brothers, they have not sown goodness. Or Joseph would have been jumping out of his robes to love and to welcome them. This is why they say we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. 
Verse 22, and Reuben answered them. And Reuben is a whiner. He's not a very good kid, sleeps with his dad's wife. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? It's like, I told you so. I'm Reuben. I'm always right. Reuben's the guy that's always alone. Because, But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And here's another thing that the Bible teaches you. Education is good because you can trick people. He understands what they're saying. And they don't know he understands what they're saying. You guys are slow today. Then he turned away from them and he wept. And so his heart is broken. He hears them confess their sin and he, and he starts to weep over that. And I'll tell you, it is okay to weep over certain things. Not like Reese Witherspoon movies or something, but you know, when, when, it, when, it's, when it's a good thing. If you, if you cry, you make it count. Jesus weeps over the death of his friend. He weeps over Jerusalem coming and, and when they reject him. He weeps over those things and Joseph weeps over his brothers confessing their sin. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if someone who has hurt you, you heard them come back to you and acknowledge it? And also, wouldn't it be nice if you heard somebody else for you to go to them and they heard you acknowledge it? So Joseph weeps and it says, and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. People ask, why Simeon? You know, what did he do? I've got a theory about this. I think Simeon has constantly shown himself to be the most violent of all the brothers. Now, Joseph just heard Reuben, the firstborn, say, you know, I tried to stop you guys. Simeon is now the secondborn. And so he takes him. I also think Simeon and Judah are the ones behind the plot to first kill Joseph and then sell him into slavery. And again, it's just my opinion. Verse 25. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey this was done for them then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed and as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at a lodging place he saw his money in the mouth of his sack he said to his brothers my money has been put back here it is in the mouth of my sack and this is an issue They're like oh no you might be thinking this is a good thing all your money comes back this is not a good thing this is this is like you ever go to the store and walk out with something and you realize like half an hour later you didn't pay for it really just me you guys are saints. <laughs> My wife and I were up at Lowe's about a month ago, and she wanted these closet organizers things. So we bought this whole closet organizer thing, and, and, and we got out, and we, so we took it home, and then we had two shelves that we didn't want. They're like six feet long. And so we drive back to Lowe's. We're taking these things back, and the guy's scanning them in our receipt and everything. He goes, these aren't on, your, on, aren't on your receipt. And he's looking at me like I stole them. I'm like, really? They're six feet long. Like, I'm like, oh, you can't see me with this. I mean, how would I steal that? He's like, oh, no. And I go, well, I got, I got four. I have two at home I installed. Do you want me to pay for those? He goes, no. I'm like, whatever. I also had this, um, I, two weeks ago, I bought some bullnose corners uh, for some baseboards I had to do. And, and I was carrying all the baseboards out like this, and it kept falling, so I stuck it in my pocket. And I meant to get the front and just pay for it, and I totally forgot. And actually, I had it in my truck, but my wife brought, drove us down, or took a car this morning, and I was going to pull it out and show you my sin. I'd be like, lift it right here. Because I forgot to pay for it. So what I think I'll do, because if I take it back, I'm going to think, oh, yeah, you stole that. I didn't. I think I might just walk by and just throw it in the bucket and be like, ding. And be like, what are you doing? Nothing. I was just, really putting something back. But this is then they think, no matter what we do, the guys in Egypt, they're not going to believe that we didn't just steal all this food. That's what they're thinking. And so they're totally freaking out about it. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? And again, this is not karma. In the Hebrew text, what they're working through is this idea that God is teaching them something. He's bringing events around so that they learn something in the midst of it. Verse 29, when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that happened to them. So they reiterate the story, saying, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We have 12 brothers, the sons of our father. 
One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. So not just the one, all of them. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And this could be the idea that they were afraid of their father because Jacob may be looking at them thinking, you didn't get your money back. You sold Simeon while you were down there to other people. I don't think they would have got that much money for Simeon personally. Okay, verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. He's in jail or so you say. And now you would take Benjamin and actually like that kid. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. And some people think, oh, look, Reuben's really stepping in and stepping up. This is a horrible plan. Okay, that's a horrible plan. Reuben is constantly showing not to be a moral guy. What he says is, I'll go down. If I don't get the job done, you can kill two of my four kids. That's a terrible... Okay, if you don't know this, that is a terrible plan. This is like someone who the bullets start to fly, and they take their kid, and they hide behind their kid. All right? If you are a parent, you step in front of your kid. You shelter your kid. You make sure they are kept safe. You don't like... That's Reuben. Horrible guy. But he, Jacob, said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to, to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to show or to the grave. So I can't risk it. It's not going to happen, and I'm not going to let you kill my grandkids, you idiot. It's not going to happen. You're not going back. And now what happens is like the Star Wars, you know, fade across, time shift. It's a lot of time that goes by. Chapter 43 says, now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, they said to their, their father said to them, go again and buy us a little food. So you got a whole lot of time that's passed. They've eaten all the food they took back. Simeon's just wallowing in jail. Good for him. You know, and God continues this famine to bring about his purposes. And Jacob finally shows up. We're getting hungry again. You better go back. And what you see now, if, if you missed the week with Judah, I would recommend you go to our website, you download it, you listen to it, because now what you see is the whole idea of Judah and his sowing and reaping coming back around and the change in his life. The last time you see Judah, he had deceived his dad, he had sold Joseph into slavery, he raised a couple godless kids that God took out, he sleeps with his son's wife, and then all of a sudden all of it is shown in front of him, all of his friends see it, and he actually doesn't try and blame somebody else, he just says, yes. That's what I did. I was in sin. I was wrong. And he owns up to it. And he moves back to a place of accountability. He moves back in with his family. And his life starts to change and get a little better. And so Judah now steps into the role of leadership. Judah is the guy who will now gain the firstborn blessing over this family. Judah is the guy in the family line that Jesus Christ actually comes from. Verse 3. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food but if you will not send him we will not go down for the man said to us you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you israel said that's their father why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother his response is just classic right you know why'd you tell me you had a brother like they knew this was going to happen they had no idea it's like when a cop pulls somebody over it's like you okay and they're like oh i just ran off the road because i was smoking crack you know you, you just, is that a bad analogy too 
just, just, you, know, you throw something out there you just really shouldn't be saying? Verse 7, they replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? No, they couldn't know. So this whole argument taking place, and in verse 7, Judah steps into the middle of it. He steps in. And Judah... And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and our little ones. So he's not thinking about himself at this point. He's thinking about his father and the rest of his family and their little children. He says, and I will be, that's an important line for you to see, and I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. This is where you begin to see the change in Judah. Over the next couple of chapters, you will see even more where he volunteers to substitute himself for his brother, which leads all the way to the point where you see the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. You see Judah's life totally change here. Judah is now becoming, or God's now becoming the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. Till now, Judah is just seen as a failure, and now his life changes, and it changes when he starts to take responsibility. He isn't pawning off on his kids like Reuben. He is now a man. I'll tell you, the difference between boys and men is that a boy doesn't want responsibility, and a man welcomes it even when it is hard. We lead our families. We love our families. Even when it is hard and things are difficult. I mean, some of you guys in this room, you need to grow up because the problem, I think, in our world and in the church today is we have boys and men's bodies. My friend Nicole, a couple years ago, this uh, fireman was interested in her, and he was talking to her about how all the guys in his firehouse like to date recently graduated high school girls because they're easy. That's a little boy. That is a loser. It is imperative that men do not run around and try and live like the rest of our culture, where men are constantly encouraged to be little boys and not take responsibility. I mean, so many today, so many boys, they'll go to college and come home and live with their parents until they're 40 because they don't want responsibility. They want to have to work hard and, and find a job. The world needs more men today. This is sowing and reaping. And I think a lot of things are bad in our world and our culture because men aren't taking responsibility to fix things, and we need to fix things that are wrong. That's our responsibility. It's what men do. You know, what little boys do is they want to blame everything on everybody else. It's like, oh, I lost my job because my alarm didn't go off. You know what? Good! You should lose your job, all right? I mean, there's a tough economy. There's a lot of people who need jobs who will set their alarm and get out of bed and go to work. That's what we need to be doing. We need to get out of bed, work hard, honor God. You love one woman. A few years ago, I was talking to this college kid about this, and I said, you need to grow up. But he's like, like, what do you mean? I said, you need to grow up and be a man. I am a man. I shave. You know what I said? I said, monkeys are furry. They're not men. See, if we have been mocking God, we need to stop. If we've been sinning up, we have to stop. Today is the day that you stop. Today is the day that you look at Judah and say, man, I need to turn my life around. You look at Jesus and say, Jesus has saved me. I need to start living like Jesus actually calls me to live. We stop grabbing from the bucket of sin and sowing death. We grab good seed out of the bucket that God gives to us, and we start sowing so we can reap a harvest of righteousness. And I'll tell you, you may not see it today. And it may take a whole lot of time before it actually comes around, but it will actually work. In Galatians 6.10, Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. This is what you see Joseph did in Egypt. This is what you now see Judah beginning to do. Because when God works in and through our lives, when we actually begin to, to sow out of his bucket, it brings goodness to all the people that come into contact with us. The good news of Jesus Christ in your life should be good news to everybody around you. I mean, some people know the fruit that good seed brings, and they have seen this harvest of righteousness. 
And there are some people who just always see the harvest of bad sowing. But I'll tell you, the good sowing is beautiful. And, and I know I make fun a lot of all you and, and your terrible sowing. But sometimes the, the good sowing is amazing. And it's I, have, I have seen a wife who prays for her husband to grow up. Just prays and prays and prays because she's got three kids and her husband is still a little kid. And eventually God gets a hold of his heart and he changes and he grows up and it's amazing. I've seen parents who have been nuts and crazy. They come to Christ and they start to raise their kids differently. And it doesn't, they, your kids don't change right away. But eventually when they see the difference in their parents, the kids actually do begin to change and the harvest of righteousness comes back. As, as people today, we only have a few options. You know, we can, we can sow sin and reap destruction and death in our lives. We can sow nothing and reap destruction and death in our lives. Or we can trust God and sow righteousness and begin to reap it. Those are our options. Because if you look at the story, we have all been like Judah at some point. We have sown death and sin in our lives. And the only reason we don't reap it on a daily basis is simply the grace of God, is Jesus See, we have been separated from God just like Joseph and his brothers were separated. And Jesus comes and he dies in our place to bring us back together like like God's going to bring this family back together. We should have been punished just like Simeon and the brothers. But Jesus dies in our place to take our punishment. We should have died. And yet Jesus dies in our place. And now we receive life by trusting Jesus and his harvest of righteousness. This is what the scriptures teach. This is what everything points to. And if you have a whole bunch of garbage in your life that you have been sowing and you want to get out of it on on the backside, well, you know what? You can deal with all the garbage in your life today through Jesus. And this is amazing that this message, and again, I write my messages pretty far in advance because I work out and read a whole lot of stuff. And it's amazing that this message works out today just for baptisms because this is what baptisms really represent, the changes in our life that God is doing, the harvest of righteousness that he is bringing about. We confess our sins to him. We give him our longing. We give him our sin. And he renews us with his harvest of righteousness. That is the beauty of baptisms. And if you're in a place today where you've just been sowing garbage all over your life, today is the day that you come to Jesus. Today is the day you let it all go at the foot of his cross because every second that you have of your life that you take breath is a simple gift of grace that is coming from his hand. This is, this is one of the reasons why people always ask, why do you do communion every week? This is one of the reasons we do communion every week because this reminds us of what Jesus sowed For you and I. He comes and he dies. That's why you break that cracker like his body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds him of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because this is what Jesus sowed for us. He sowed righteousness and grace and truth. And now the favor of God rests upon you because of what he has done. And so when we come and and now we turn around and we sow things, do we sow it so God likes us more? No. God can't like you anymore. God can't love you anymore. We sow because he first loved us. We sow because his favor and blessing have been given to us. And so we stop sinning, just sowing garbage in our lives. And we sow grace and truth and hope and life. And that's what we begin to sow because it honors and reflects who he is. We must step into the place that God has called us to. We must be the people that God calls us to be. Or this world is just going to keep going the same direction it is. We must be those God calls us to be. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. Uh, if you've been in a place in your life where maybe you've just been sowing all kinds of destruction all around it and you feel like there's just no way out of that, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And they would love to pray with you and talk with you and maybe help to show you how to start sowing something different, uh, you know, where, where your life is surrendered to who God is and everything about your life becomes about what he is continuing and wants to do in your life.
Um, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. And there's some food and stuff in the back. You guys can grab something to eat, meet some other people. I would encourage you all, if, if even it's your first time here, show up at the baptisms, eat some food, and then maybe meet some other people. You can even ask people around you some of the questions on the back of the sermon notes today. You know, what, what kind of harvest have you seen in your life because you're sowing and reaping? What, what comes back around? I mean, I, could, I can I give you crazy stories all the time that happened in my life of the dumb things I did as a kid that, are, that still come back to me. But I can also give you story after story of grace and goodness that come back around when we sow out of God's bucket. I mean, in your lives, I've seen some amazing things and some very humorous things as well. You know, but I've seen some very amazing things that God has done. And that's what we need to understand. When we sow how God calls us to sow, God is faithful to that. And he brings about a harvest of righteousness. We simply trust him in that, stepping into who he calls us to be. Because he is good and he is faithful. And we must trust him for that. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, we as a people ask that you would come and speak to our hearts in such a way that we understand the truth that you speak throughout your scriptures, that the truth that your spirit constantly speaks to us even now, today. Father, we know that, that sowing out of your bucket doesn't make you love us anymore, doesn't make your favor rest upon us any more strongly, but it is a response to what you have already done in us. That we love because you first loved us. When we understand the grace and the goodness of who you are and what you've done, it just, it's going to naturally start to flow back out of us. Have us see the places in our lives where we have been sowing destruction and have us stop and step back into those places and start to sow life and hope and truth and grace again. Father, if there are places that we need to go back into, maybe with some other people or other situations, I ask that you give us the strength to do that, to actually take responsibility and become you know, the men that you call us to be, to step back into hard places and bring about the right things or maybe once we have sown the wrong things. Father, in all this, we know that your grace covers us. But we also want to be a people who live fully displaying that grace so that all men would know as we lift you up the truth about who you are and the truth about what you've done and the truth, quite frankly, about what you continue to do. Have us be a people who honor you in all things. And God, even though sometimes it may take years and years and years to see the harvest of righteousness come about like Joseph and his family, 20 plus years before this all comes back around again. But yet you are faithful and you are true. And what you say, you will do. And nothing can stop or thwart that. So today, take our hearts and have our entire lives be ones of praise, not just because of the songs that we sing, but because of the life that we live outside of these walls. Have people know who you are by the way your children love you back. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.